Lord Jesus, we really love you. We love because you first loved us. Before we say or do anything else, Lord, we'd like to declare to the whole universe, Jesus Christ is Lord. God highly exalted you. And we would exalt you tonight and this weekend, giving you the preeminence, the first place in all things. Lord, one of your glorious names is Emmanuel. And you said, I will be with you all the days. Lord, you are here tonight. We cannot see you. But you, the resurrected Christ, are here and we are in your name. We'd like to acknowledge you, Lord. Thank you for being our Savior and our Redeemer. We thank you for being the life within us. Thank you for being the great shepherd of the sheep. Thank you we can testify there indeed is one shepherd and one flock. Thank you for flocking us together. For bringing us from so many places to pursue you in one spirit with one soul. So because we stand on the ground of this oneness, we ask you in vital faith, open the heavens and pour out the blessing. Bless everyone here. Bless every country represented here. Bless all the churches. Lord, bless all your redeemed throughout the continent of Europe. Thank you, Lord. We're reminded again that all the foe could do is just release the flow. No, after... A quarter century, we are here on the continent again, declaring Christ is victor. You said, I will build my church. And this is exactly what you are doing. Lord, we open our being to you. We give you a free way to say and do whatever pleases you. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we were uh, singing, and I was with the brothers here, I had a definite sense, and I was reminded of a verse that opens Psalm 126. A verse that describes my personal sentiment and sense of amazement. The psalm says, when the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Jake, am I really here? Are we really here? Isn't this a divine and heavenly dream? Well, 
It's been quite a period of time, amounting to months, actually, that I was in a spirit of seeking before the Lord concerning the general subject of this conference. We realize that often the Lord's leading may be instant, but on our part, we would like to honor him as the unique source by waiting on him, by opening to him, by allowing him to lead us in any way that pleases him. And eventually, through this seeking, through the prayers of the saints, through the Lord's own intercession, and I believe under his divine administration, we have this general subject, knowing the crystallized significance of the body of Christ. I realize at least to some extent that gathered here, we have believers from so many situations of various ages degrees of spiritual understanding and experience of Christ. We look to the Lord that under his anointing, uh, we would not use words in a loose or vague way, that we would make plain uh, what it is we understand, taking nothing for granted. And we do pray that although we are one, yet many, in various stages of the growth in life, as our brother John said when he wrote to fathers, to young men, and to children, I do pray, and my spirit is praying now, that in every meeting, every one of us would receive something directly from the Lord. Uh, only he knows the needs of our inward parts and he knows what it is in his heart concerning each one of us and we believe that we will have a personal, affectionate, sweet, endearing, memorable three days together. If some of you are really, really new and you don't know who I am, let me say this, and this is enough. I am Ron, your brother, a bond slave of Christ Jesus. That's all I am, and that's all I need to say. Let's consider the general subject. Knowing the crystallized significance of the body of Christ. The body of Christ, as we hope we will see clearly, is the intrinsic significance of the church. The church is one universally. The church is many in local expression. In local expression, it has 
obviously a practical, physical aspect. But according to the height of the divine revelation in the New Testament, the real meaning of the church is not physical, it's not tangible. It is mystical, the body of Christ. Paul uses his expression in the verses we read from the four books where he speaks of the body. We take this to be not a mere metaphor, but a term that denotes a reality, a divine and human reality an organism of which we are members and which truly is the body of Christ, such that when you touch any part, any member, you touch the Lord himself. Paul learned this in a striking and shocking way when he heard the Lord Jesus say, why do you persecute me? The whole universe and the essence of the divine revelation in the scriptures is involved in this me. Paul was persecuting the believers. The Lord said, you're persecuting me. Paul was persecuting parts of the Lord's body. The Lord is full of feeling, continues to be full of feeling and care, just as we are. For our physical body. So the body of Christ. Is the church universal. Mystical. Divine. Yet human because redeemed. The redeemed. Chosen ones of God are part of it. We want to know the significance. Insofar as we're capable. Of this expression the body of Christ in Ephesians, what it really means. And we're modifying the word significance with the word crystallized. And we have been in the line of crystallization since 1994. What do we mean by this term, the crystallized significance? Well, we can study the divine revelation on more than one level to know the significance. But eventually, I believe the Lord will burden us to know the essential matter, to touch the essence, the intrinsic reality. When we touch the essence of the divine revelation in the word concerning crucial matters, and we, so to speak, draw out this essence, it will solidify into a crystal, which is clear, it may be multifaceted, but it at least approximates, perhaps, the highest understanding we're capable of this side of eternity. 
So we will look at the body of Christ in a deep, inward, and intrinsic way, guided by the ministry of this age. And we look to the Lord that aspects of the body will become crystals to us, clear and precious. The first word in the general subject is knowing. And it's here deliberately that we're not here to discourse simply in the realm of objective theology. We acknowledge the truth remains, whether anyone on earth acknowledges it or not. But we know from Paul's prayers and from the Lord's own prayer that God wants us to know certain things. Consider in Colossians 1.9, Paul, who had never been to Colossae, he said, as soon as we heard of your faith, we do not cease praying and asking. And Paul was praying that they would be filled with the full knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That was Paul's response to pray like this constantly. He realized we need to have the proper knowing of something. The Lord Jesus himself in the prayer he offered the night before he was crucified. He said, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and his Son. In Ephesians 1, Paul, who had spent three years in Ephesus, and who declared the whole counsel of God to them and withheld nothing that was profitable, was burdened to pray for them in light of his own advancement in the divine things that the Father of glory would give them and us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of him. The apostles we're concerned for this. Even one of the major bequests in the New Covenant, which is now the New Testament, is that all will know me. All will know me. And John, writing in his first epistle, in chapter 2, verses 20 and 27, speaks of the anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know, or as other translations may say, you know all things. I believe I have the, the standing to say with integrity, because of a certain background, there is a difference between knowing a doctrine, and I'm not demeaning that, and knowing the spiritual reality communicated in that doctrine. 
And as one still on the journey with you, still in the process of God's organic salvation, I'd like to bear witness in the Lord's presence that this kind of knowing changes your being forever. Your whole being is involved. The mind, of course. Hopefully being renewed and purified. And the heart, with its love and pure intentions. And the spirit. We love the Lord from our entire being. And when the Lord through his word as the unique avenue, make something known to us. There's an inward change. I give just a very simple example. For some reason, and this is only weeks after I came into the church life in Los Angeles in 1966, I was just desperate in my seeking of the Lord to know the meaning of a verse in Matthew 7. Where the Lord said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens. But he who does the will of my father who is in the heavens. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that. The Lord will say, I don't know you. You are lawless workers. Depart from me. And I sought the Lord earnestly. And the spiritual understanding came, which was confirmed, as it must be, from other scriptures and from the fellowship of the church. That changed my life. I realize this is not a mere doctrine concerning the kingdom. If I say, Lord, Lord, with a believing heart, I'm saved. But something else is required to enter into the kingdom of the heavens. And that is doing the Father's will. Knowing that, even though my knowing was elementary has governed my life now for 44 years. The Lord Jesus does not cater to curiosity. Even he advised us with the holy things, the truth, don't give it to dogs, the pearls, Don't cast them before hogs. And in John 7, when many were understandably mystified as to who he was, and they said, no one ever spoke like this. How did he learn these things? He's never been educated, supposedly. And the Lord said this in John 7, if anyone wills, To do his, that is God's will. He shall know the teaching. Whether I speak from myself or I speak from God. 
So the willing, the willing to obey what is made known is a factor. And the Lord is the heart knower. If they're just curious, they just want some information, perhaps, for a further dispute. He will hide that matter. But you will, that is, you intend, you wish to do the Father's will, you will know. What I'm trying to say is, knowing here involves our entire being, including our motives and including our willingness under the Lord's mercy to obey what we see and to walk in that light faithfully. And this is something I honor in all the believers, that they walk truly in the light that they have. We are one in the essentials of the faith. We receive one another as the Lord has received us. Why should we fight? If we're burdened that someone would see more, then I think it's very good to learn of Paul and not trust in our skill, our pedagogical skills or our persuasiveness. How good to pray. So may I ask you, I believe with a tender spirit, do you want to know the body of Christ? Are you willing to receive from the Lord whatever word he would release? Are you willing for whatever experiences he would give you? So that the outcome would be, you know the crystallized significance of the body of Christ. When you know the body in the way that I'm talking about, you're different. You're different. You cannot be divisive. You cannot. You don't have to remember, oh, what was that again? Not to be divisive? No. You keep the oneness of the Spirit, which oneness is the Spirit himself. You cannot be independent any longer. You cannot live without all the other members. Uh, just before I got the word that with the mic on, I need to turn my cell phone off. Just before I got the word, I sent a message to a companion. Please pray now. That was sent to a companion. It's a message to the whole body of Christ. I can't live without you. If we really know the body, we cannot be individualistic. 
we cannot think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think because we are not more and not less than a member. It's really exhausting if you've ever tried it to to be every member of the body of Christ and do everything. It is such a rest to be a part, a member in this universal body that includes all the believers. Knowing the body will govern the way we experience the Lord. It will keep us from becoming spiritual cancers. Wanting spirituality without a consciousness of the body. We could go point after point, but I think this is sufficient. The knowing here is a precious knowing, an intrinsic knowing, a costly knowing, and a most crucial and valuable knowing. This now brings us to the subject of message one. And I want to flow into it, connecting the previous line of thought. Is this knowing will give us a consciousness. Not only of the body of Christ. But of the Lord himself in his feeling Toward the body. And as a result, we can say on his behalf that the Lord has a need. I leave the urgent part aside for a moment. A need. I realize that some, due to their theological preferences, feel uneasy for a human being to say that God has a need. As if we are diminishing his omnipotence, omniscience and omnipresence. We cannot do that. We would never do that. Yes, in eternity before there was a universe or any beings... God did not need anyone to advise him concerning his eternal purpose, his predestination, his choosing of the elect, his foreknowing Christ to be the redeeming lamb. No one needed to advise him. That would have been utterly blasphemous. And in creating the universe... God did not need anyone to pray. He did not need anyone to preach. He did not need any help. He did it all by himself as the word in Christ. But God has decided that for the carrying out of his eternal purpose, to have a corporate expression and to bring his kingdom to earth, he would have a group of people 
who work with him. And in a very real sense, he is willing to enter into such a relationship with his redeemed people that to some extent they may temporarily determine how far God can go. For example, doesn't God want the gospel of the kingdom to be preached to all the nations? Did he not say to preach the gospel to all creation? Well, who will do this? Will God himself unilaterally announce the gospel in this way? Will the angels do it? There is one time mentioned in Revelation where an angel will preach the eternal gospel. But if angels could preach the gospel, then why was Peter told to go to the house of Cornelius? God has ordained that we, the redeemed, testify of him. He said, you shall be my witnesses. Based on this, we see he must need this. He has decided that he needs us to bear a living testimony. A more striking matter is prayer. And maybe this might contribute to answering a question in your heart. Since God is all-powerful, since God is all-knowing, why does he need us to pray? Why does he need us to tell him things that he already knows? Why does he need us to ask him to do things that he already wills to do? Well, this involves, and this is an illustration, not a separate message, the principle of prayer, which is God has a will, but he chooses not to carry it out unilaterally. That is all by himself. Rather, he wants the earth, that is the church, to be in harmony with the heavens, that is the triune God, to agree with God's will and to express it as prayer. So we know from John fifteen seven that if we abide in the Lord and his words abide in us, we shall ask whatever we wish and it will be done. That doesn't mean I can ask for a yacht, I can ask for a private jet because I want it. No, that's praying according to the flesh. But if we are in the Lord, the Lord's word is abiding in us. The Lord's word makes known his will. That revealed word will now becomes our wish. We want what God wants. So we pray. Then the Lord fulfills his desire by fulfilling our desire, which is his desire becoming our desire and expressed through prayer. But. If you're still not at ease with the word need, then I let the matter rest. Maybe tonight another will come and wrestle with you all night. And by dawn, you'll think differently. Okay, I do my part. He does his part. Okay. 
But I, I'm so definite as to say the Lord's need of the body of Christ is urgent. And urgency depends both on the seriousness of a matter and on the time factor. Just consider, do you not need your body? Is the body, your physical body, not the practicality of you? Do you not live in and through your body? If something dreadful were to happen, that your body was totally paralyzed, wouldn't that be just an awful situation? There's so much in you you want to do, but you cannot do it. The feeling is similar with the Lord toward his body. He has chosen in this age to work in and through the church. When he comes back, he will come as the bride for the as the bride he will come as the bridegroom, of course, for the bride. The bride must be produced. If we study Ephesians carefully, the church is first the body of Christ, that which comes out of him. Then she becomes the bride of Christ, that which is presented to him as his counterpart, all of which are typified by Eve. If in practicality, on the earth, there are only sects, Divisions, groups, institutions with organization and hierarchy and human heads and financial interests. How can the Lord freely move? Even our dear brother A.W. Tozer had a keen sense concerning this and wrote a striking essay entitled, The Waning Authority of Christ in the Churches. Do you know what your physical body is? The physical body is the physical part of you through which you live and move so freely that it's as, as if your body is not there. There's no hindrance. There's no delay. There's no frustration. There's no paralysis. The body of Christ is an organism through which the Lord, as the ascended head, can freely live, freely move to carry out what is ever in his heart. An illustration of this in miniature in a local church, and a local church is the body expressed in a locality. An illustration is in Acts 13 where you have five prophets and teachers ministering to the Lord and fasting. Their ministering to the Lord is their direct contact with him as the head. Then the Holy Spirit speaks, separate Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I have called them. This is the head exercising authority directly and these group of believers, members of the body. 
Then the other three laid hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them forth. We're told they sent them. The following verse says, they being sent by the Holy Spirit. Do you not see here the beautiful oneness and harmony between the Lord's Spirit as the head of the body and the members of the body? They are praying, even more than praying, they are ministering to the Lord. We need to consider that sometime, but we cannot have a message on it. What, what does that involve? Not minister for the Lord. Minister to the Lord. What is this? Why were they doing that? What were they experiencing? This is surely most precious. Lord, we're here for you. We get, we're not distracted by anything or any matter. We're not obsessed with work. We love you. We focus on you. We exalt you. We honor you. You are the head. You are everything to us. We're one with you. Lord, whatever's in your heart, carry that out. Here we are. Well, suppose there were not these prophets and teachers contacting the Lord like this. Suppose there was not the response. Would the Lord have been able to move without hindrance? We, let us not hide behind the doctrine of absolute sovereignty. According to his economical arrangement, no. He is working through the body. He needs the body urgently for two main reasons. One reason is to carry out his economy. And that's a new word for some. God's economy is his household administration with his plan to fulfill his purpose by dispensing himself in his divine trinity into his chosen and redeemed people. So an economy involves administration, involves an arrangement. The Greek word for economy is oikonomia. The Greek word for stewardship is oikonomia. The Greek word for steward is oikonomos, which is what the apostles were, someone who is one with the Lord in his administration to function according to his arrangement, to dispense him in the gospel preaching and in the ministry to the saints. So God's economy is to produce a body for his son. Uh, one of our accusers and opposers, sorry to say, not noted for openness, said we teach that we're here to provide a body for God. The Bible doesn't speak of the church as the body of God. The body grows with the growth of God. The body is the body of Christ. It is Christ the Son who needs a body. 
And God's creation, his redemption, his regeneration, his organic salvation, his recovery of the practice of the oneness of the body of Christ, his new covenant ministry are to produce a body for his son. And here I'd like to insert something. I believe it will strike you as normal. But we're here this weekend, not for ourselves. By the Lord's mercy and his grace, we are here for the Lord Jesus. We are seeking first the kingdom of God. And we are seeking what our God wants to produce. In his economy. And he wants to produce a body, an organism, which is also called the new man. This body fulfills God's desire. Let me pause here. God's desire. How often in your life have you touched the heart's desire of another person? I don't mean a mere physical desire for this and that. I mean the desire of one's being. We understand the expression, God's good pleasure, to refer to this. God has a desire, an intense longing for something. And it's sad If his people are indifferent or are ignorant to the deep feeling in God, his desire, God's desire for his expression. That is why Genesis 1.26 is in the Holy Scriptures. Let us make man in our image. We interpret scripture by scripture. Who is the image of God? 2 Corinthians 4.4 The image of God is Christ. Colossians 1.15 Christ is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 He is, is the express image of his substance. We were created corporately as humankind in God's image for his expression. Don't you believe that tonight our Lord with eyes of love and also intensity is looking upon continental Europe and he has a desire to see himself expressed in every nation. Don't you believe that one day there will be the expression of God in Iran? Should we not pray for this? Will there not be the expression of God in Afghanistan? And surely in every country in Europe. I'm not a European according to the flesh. But tonight I'd like to join you in being one with the Lord for his burden that Europe would see 
the real expression of the triune God in Christ. And the destruction of Satan. Satan is a creature. God the Creator will not lower himself to deal directly with a creature. He wants another creature, man, to deal with this rebellious creature, an angel. That is why also in Genesis 1.26 and in the verses following, we read of dominion and of subduing the earth, especially the creeping things. God wants the body of Christ because the body of Christ is the corporate expression of Christ. That should be our motive for living in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Beholding with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Maybe in your consideration, transformation was all about whether or not you will make it into the coming kingdom. It's all about personal spirituality. But we are all being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That is for the fulfillment of Genesis 1.26. That is to have a corporate expression. The earth is going to see it. All of these Europeans with their national characteristics and their languages and their cultures which have witnessed endless wars, at least in miniature, Europe will see the image, the corporate expression of Christ, expressed probably in small gatherings in localities as genuine local churches. And this body is the one new man who will engage in the warfare to destroy Satan. I'm remembering a portion in Brother Watchmanee's ministry, and I'm not dramatizing, that changed my life. It's in the book, The Glorious Church, in chapter one, on God's purpose and God's rest. And the section concerns the work of, of God, which Brother Nee defines the work of God is that work which causes Satan to suffer loss and lose ground on earth. It is that work which exercises the Lord's dominion to bring the kingdom in practicality to the earth in such a way that Satan has to retreat. Then Brother Nee goes on to say, in preaching the gospel, we may reserve something of ourselves. In teaching the scriptures, we may still have something of and for ourselves. And in edifying the saints and caring for the church, the same. But in dealing with the enemy, 
by dealing with the work of by doing the work of God nothing of the self can be reserved then elsewhere our brother testifies that the devil is only afraid of one kind of person and that is a believer who does not love his soul life the body is an entity like this the body of christ is a group of believers in the oneness of the spirit who shine forth the image of god in christ corporately and who especially by prayers engage in spiritual warfare to apply the victory of christ and they are willing to carry out this commission at any cost at any cost because they know this i didn't know this before i read that chapter i didn't know it but once i knew it it affected me and i had to pray although my prayer was in immaturity i prayed that i would be a part of this I don't want to reserve something of myself in the work and not be part of that instrument that would deal with the enemy. The body of Christ draws out from us in love the highest and most absolute consecration. Lord, I want to grow in life. I want to be saved in life. I want to reign in life. I want to be sanctified, renewed, transformed and conformed, not merely and not mainly for my spirituality, but for the body of Christ. Amen. Lord, I want you to work in me in such a way that I love you so absolutely that I will not love my soul life even unto death. And Lord I aspire to this not mainly and not merely that I would be an overcomer I aspire to this so that you would have a body that can actually destroy the devil's works Amen. This is God's economy to produce such a body admittedly the vast majority of our beloved brothers and sisters either do not know this or do not agree with this or don't have a way to practice this we admit that we essentially are no better than other believers we're here only because of the lord's mercy among us many may not be faithful to the end but the lord will gain some the overcomers who will do this and they will do it in the body they will do it as the body they will do it through the body and they will do it for the body i'd like to tell you in the lord's presence altogether by his mercy i breathe for this i exist for this i have no other reason the reason to get up in the morning 
the reason to pass through all the stages of human life with the Lord. And now I'm in the post-middle age. The next stage in sight age. Just for this. Don't think. Because I testified this. I think I'm super. I'm not super. I'm your brother. I'm a slave. I'm a member. This is why we were created. This is why we were redeemed. We like to be a part of this. Just to be a member in the body. Contributing to the fulfillment of this grand economy. It's the highest purpose in a Christian's life. Keep Roman 2. And I'm mindful of time. So that there will be ample opportunity for many to prophesy. And the brothers will have some fellowship to show us how a language need not be a problem to your prophesying. The Lord urgently needs the reality of the body of Christ to be expressed in the local churches. Okay, the reality of the body of Christ is the corporate God-man living of blended believers. These believers want to live out Galatians 2.20. They want to live out Philippians 3, 9 and 10. To know the power of Christ's resurrection, to be conformed to his death, to live in the fellowship of his sufferings. They want to live in Philippians 1. Christ will be magnified in my body. To me, to live is Christ. When the Lord was in his physical body, he, the person, lived in that physical body. Now we are his mystical body. He, the person, lives in his mystical body. And Paul is a pattern of a person who lived in the reality of the body of Christ by allowing Christ, the person, to be everything in him and to him. Galatians 1, Christ revealed in me. Galatians 2, Christ lives in me. Galatians 4, Christ formed in me. Ephesians 3, Christ makes his home in me. Colossians 3, Christ is all and in all. When there is a group of people not isolated saints or giants. That age is over. A group of ordinary believers who know the body to some extent and are consecrated to the Lord. They're willing to live Christ. They're willing to pray, Lord, live in me that I may live you. When they do this corporately and are blended together. That is the reality of the body. And the Lord wants this reality in the local churches. This means you can contact people. They're still in the old creation. They're still in the flesh. They still need the Lord's forgiveness and his redemption. But you sense, wow, there's something particular here. When I went to my first meeting, 
in a home in a suburb of San Francisco in September of 1966. And especially when I met a certain brother and he had fellowship with me. I had a sense of kind of fear. I said to myself, this is a different breed of Christian. I've never, different breed from what I was and am right now. I mean, I mean, what is this? What kind of person is this? I mean, what is the consecration he's talking about? Well, the Lord urgently needs this. Not just to have local churches on the ground of oneness that are functioning in, in the best way, according to the way ordained by God. But they have actual people like us because there just ain't nobody else like us. And these people actually learn to live the life of a God man. They're so human in Jesus, yet something divine, God himself in Christ as the spirit is in them. They are not conscious of this. Uh, They're like Moses who never knew that his face was shining. They're just ordinary people going through all the human things of every stage of human life, except they go through all this with Christ living in them, being everything to them. When there are a group of these, that is the reality of the body. Three, the work of the triune God in us is to produce and build up the body of Christ. And this statement is related to a very deep matter. And maybe this will sound facetious. The deep matter is Ephesians 4 comes after Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, you have one body, one spirit, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of all. Verse 16, the growth of the body. There you have the body. But in chapter 3, you have Paul's prayer that the Father of glory would strengthen us with power through his spirit into the inner man so that Christ may make his home in our hearts through faith that we would be rooted and grounded in love and know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ. We would know the breadth, the length, the depth, the height and the depth. Eventually we would be filled unto all the fullness of God. In both portions of Ephesians, we see the triune God. In chapter 3, the triune God operating in his economy to work himself into our being in such a way that Christ is completely at home in our hearts. You know, saints are so dear when they invite you to stay there for hospitality and they say, feel at home, but I would never act on that word. (laughs) Suppose they said, Ron, you just be at home. And then a few hours later, uh, I am removing certain items of furniture and I I I am painting the bedroom wall a color that I like. 
and I'm going everywhere examining everything, I think they would say, it's just a way of speaking. Okay, I, I know it's just a way of speaking. I know your heart, but I assure you, I will stay happily confined in the space measured out to me. Well, the Lord wants to have a home in us. And even that Greek word for make home, if, you, if we translated it literally, and, I, and I'm no Greek scholar, I, I just know a little bit. It's literally down home, to make his home deep down in our being. That's a triune God working in us to produce the body in chapter 4. So if we know this, then we won't just say, let's have the body. Let's be the body, okay? Shall we all agree? Let's be the body from now on. Then we talk about the body for two days, and then we forget the body is the expression of the triune God wrought into us, saturating us, permeating us, and mingled with us. When this happens to a group of people, and they are one with one another in this triune God, and deny themselves and walk according to the mingled spirit, that is the reality of the body. We need to know this. We need to touch it. We need to see it, even though it's in a developmental stage. This is one reason why older saints, if they age in the triune God, are most precious. I think of our dear sister Lee, probably the most godly person on the earth. Just to be greeted by her, just to know that she's praying for this conference. You see a pattern of someone who nears the end of their course, not in the self, not in opinion, not in disposition, not in peculiarity, but just in Christ. And uh, these older saints, by their being, are actually saying to the young, saying to those who are in a real midlife crisis, I, I went through a couple of those. It really is a crisis, but I wouldn't go back to be 35 for anything. What I've gained of the Lord is too precious. We actually need to have this developing among us. And it takes time. So that's a good motive to take care of our health in the best way. So that we have the time allotted to us of the Lord. That we would just be together manifesting Christ without being aware of it. The ministry of the New Testament is for the producing of the body of Christ. It doesn't try to build up a big work, a big entity for itself. It's for the body. It's for the perfecting of the saints. But the fact is, without the new covenant ministry, there is no possibility to bring forth the body of Christ. This were a little hypothetical. Suppose you had no life studies, no hymnal, no recovery version with notes, 
no ministry books at all from Brother Nee and Brother Lee, do you think you would have a lack? I'll tell you, I would have just what I had when I came in 1966. I'm saved and I'm regenerated and that's it. We do not exalt any servant of the Lord. But we will continue in the things that we have learned and have been assured of, as Paul tells Timothy, knowing from which ones you have learned them. I honor my dear father. He's been with the Lord. I honor him all the time. I owe my human life to him. He taught me to drive. He taught me the proper way to be with females. He taught me to work. I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not exalting him. Well, we've had spiritual fathers. We don't exalt them, but we're not ashamed of them either. Without this ministry, I would have nearly nothing concerning God's economy, the all-inclusive Christ, the mingled spirit transformation, organic salvation, on and on and on it goes. That's just the fact. So let's be simple and let's be humble and let's receive the ministry. Eventually we will all be perfected unto the work of the ministry, which is what? The building up of the body of Christ. The body is the intrinsic significance of the church. Without the body, the church makes no sense and has no meaning. When you're young, it's hard to understand this. When you're middle-aged and you've been here for 25 years and certain strange feelings surface in you, you just sense a lack of meaning. That's not altogether negative. I testify that's the spirit in you giving you a hunger for the inward reality of the church. We never give up the practical, the practicality but we need to have the intrinsic significance of the church. Case six, we need to touch the reality of the body. We actually covered this matter, at least we touched it, and realized the glorious fact that the church is the body of Christ. What would happen to you if during these three days you touched the reality of the body? You just touch it. You know you touched it. You're like that woman who touched the hem of his garment. But she didn't know what she knew she would be healed, but she did not know that virtue, that energy would come out of the Lord. Paul, Saul touched the reality of the body. When you touch it, you touch God in motion as the spirit. You touch a flow. You touch the energizing triune God. You touch Christ living in other human beings. Then you see the glorious fact that the church is the body of Christ. Then what will you do? Suppose you saw this a little. You'll never be able to unsee it. It's in your being. It flashed in your being. You touched it. You saw it. Now your being is telling you, you know. Other parts of you, and this is not unusual, may be resisting, but the deeper part of you is touching. We've been there. We've been through that. 
Eventually, you know what happens? The deeper part wins. Outer man, zero. Inner man, who knows how many points. Just a matter of time. To touch it. Really, my spirit is praying while I'm talking to you. Oh Lord, cause many of us to touch the reality of the body. Just to be like that woman. Lord, if I just touched the reality of the body, I believe I would be healed. Even, Lord, you might have allowed me to be in this difficult situation so long. And I prayed so much. And I sought help in so many quarters. Now I realize you're here, not in your physical body, but in your mystical body. If I just touch you, You'll be more than healed. You'll touch the meaning of the universe. You'll touch the heart of God. You'll touch the operation of the divine trinity. The body is the governing law of the life and work of the children of God. It's not a law like passed by parliament or congress. It's an organic principle that governs you when you see it. It governs your life. How can I go home after a conference and be in the flesh with my wife and argue with her or in any way say anything to her that would not minister life? She is a member of the body of Christ. The body is, we like to say, 24-7. I'm married to a member of the body of Christ. We had a sweet conversation over Chinese food one Friday night. Those of us observing might think us odd. They would not be the first. And we're having this very sweet fellowship of those that are not young. And that is this. We know that our married life is in the old creation. And that when either one of us goes to be with the Lord, the marriage is over. And we will not be married in eternity. But during the course of our decades together, we have been built together in the triune God. In the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. And this building will become part of the holy city. I'm not just married to a woman. I'm married to a fellow heir of the grace of life. If I know the body, it will govern my life. It will govern how I manage my money, my giving. It will cause me to increase the giving again and again. It will govern all my relationships. It will govern my being a God-man grandpa to my grandkids. And then it governs our work. Just like laws govern our body. It's so good. To be under this divine government. Eight, Christ in himself is the head. And Christ in all of us is the body. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 12. So also is the Christ. So only he is the head. This is a great truth the Lord has been emphasizing among us. He is the head directly of each one of us. We know there are those who represent him, 
but that is secondary. We all have direct access to the head. He alone is the head, but Christ in all of us is the body. So tonight, the body of Christ is here as the totality of the Christ in all of us. If we, I say generally, meet again a year from now, there will be more body of Christ because there will be more Christ. I saw my dear brother Paul Cook this morning. I hadn't seen him since Busan. And I had to say, wait a minute, what have you been doing? There's more God in you than when I saw you in Busan. Actually, there's more Christ in you than when I saw you this morning. You haven't been wasting this day, have you? You've been enjoying the Lord, haven't you? I suspected as much. So this is something we know. The more Christ, the more body of Christ. Okay, there cannot be the body of Christ without Christ. That is why we concentrate on him, we enjoy him, we praise him as the all-inclusive one. All the problems of the church are due to ignorance concerning the body of Christ. Eventually, we'll all agree this is the fact. The biggest problem is not knowing the body and not caring for the body. This is also true. If you know the body, you will realize that's the biggest problem. The way we behave ourselves in the church, the ministry, and the work depends upon the degree of our seeing of the body. So we need to bear one another in love as this degree is increasing. Those who have a higher degree of the body are characterized by two main things. One is they enjoy the supply of the body all the time. And the other is, they suffer a lot. Making up what is lacking of the afflictions of Christ for his body, the church. One member suffers, we all suffer. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. If you don't know the body, others suffer, you don't sense it. Others weep, you can't produce tears. But you live in the body, you rejoice, you're supplied. And you sense the weight, the anguish, the hardship, the pain, the suffering of the other members. All that is translated into prayer of intercession, prayer of warfare, and the ministry of life. The Lord's recovery is for the building up of the body of Christ. Are you glad you're in the Lord's recovery? Do you know what the Lord's recovery is for? It's for this. I'm glad I wasn't born in the 16th century, that I wasn't with Luther. I'm glad I wasn't with Zinzendorf in Herrenhut. I'm glad I wasn't with the Brethren. I'm glad I wasn't with Andrew Murray. I'm glad I was born at the stage where the Lord is recovering in reality and practicality the body of Christ. Thus, to know the body is the proper recovery of the Lord.
Amen. Well, that releases tonight's portion from your brother. We have ample time now for prophesying. Maybe one of the brothers will fellowship with us and direct us how to proceed uh, so we can all release the spirit, but in good organic order. Okay? Amen.